BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. And we are back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. What's happening, Beck? Uh, nothing. I took in a really nice half of a preseason game last night here in Brooklyn, and then I'd seen enough. But uh, it's nice to have games to watch. I think you were at one last night as well. I was at the Lakers-Kings game. I should say Lakers and my Sacramento Kings. I've adopted them this year as a <laughs> playoff team in the Western Conference. I'm going all in, baby. Sacramento Kings. I know ESPN's got it projected at like 36 wins this year. Our friend Kevin Pelton. No, no. They're going to be above 500. Above. And they're going to be in the playoffs. Keegan Murray is going to be the rookie of the year. Seven for 10 from the floor last night. Two for three, I think, from three-point range. Kick and play. I have never... Shooting, always valuable. I have never seen you so excited about the Sacramento Kings. I can't remember when I saw... Anyone this excited about the Sacramento Kings? And that includes the Kings themselves. Um, above five hundred. Listen, I like I am as 
I was on Zach Lowe's pod last week and we did most confusing teams and I hesitated to put the Kings in there because confusing means I'm confused by the fact that they should still be bad and everyone expects them to be bad, but I think they might actually be decent. And so I was squeamish about even including them because it meant that I am kind of a Kings optimist, but you're way beyond me on this one. Like I can see them flirting with play in range, but definite playoff team above 500 for sure. Uh... Keegan Murray better learn a lot really fast, and Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox better figure out their chemistry really fast, and I, I'm sure there's a few other things that they need to figure out. But like, I like I like what they're doing, and I, I even like the herder pickup. Um, I think there's promise there, but man, the West is brutal, Mannix. Like, I, I think having them break in or say they're for sure making some form of the postseason, whether it's the play-in or, or an actual playoff... Um, it's tough because New Orleans, Minnesota, everybody's improving. The Lakers presumably are better last night's uh, game notwithstanding. Uh, bold, very bold by you. Where do you have them in the, I, the one through eight doesn't matter anymore because it's really one through six because I play in. But like, where are you slotting them? I would probably slot them eighth or ninth. When I say playoffs, I think they're going to get in either through the play in or you know, just outright. I mean, they're going to have to be in the, they're not in the top six. They're going to have to yeah, be, they're, it's gotta be in played. the play in yeah. one way or the others. But I think they get in there and I think they make the playoffs uh, via the play. And I'm not, and I don't want to make this a Kings podcast, but I'm not so <laughs> much worried about the Darren Fox Sabonis. It's, can Mike Brown fix the defense? I mean, the defense yes. was awful last year, has been awful for a couple of years. Like Mike Brown, defensive guru, uh, he's going to have to come in and clean things up there. But they got Herter, they got Murray. They got shooting. I think Fox is a bounce back year. I, I think Sabonis is a really good player. Um, I, I think they've got some pieces there uh, to be pretty good. But we're going to talk about the Kings a little bit in the context of the GM survey uh, that came out on Tuesday. Some interesting tidbits in that. I want to talk about the Lakers as well. Uh, later in the show, Howard, we're going to have a guest. I'm going to talk to Sarah Kustak, our friend over at the Yes Network. Sarah uh, of course, uh, working on those Nets broadcasts. Maybe the most interesting team in the league this year is the Brooklyn Nets, a team with the talent to win an NBA championship and the combustibility to potentially miss the playoffs, if that makes if that's even uh, possible. So we'll talk to Sarah a little bit later in the show. But I want to begin, Howard, with something I know that uh, you know you you care about the uh, Seattle market. Um, uh, the uh, NBA has returned to Seattle this week. The Blazers and the Clippers played up at Climate Pledge Arena, which kickstarted all this talk on social media about getting a team back to Seattle. Seattle has not had an NBA team since the Supersonics took off uh, many years ago. Uh, it has a rabid fan base. It now has an NBA-ready arena. Um how far, let me put it to you this way. You know Adam Silver's opinion on expansion. Um, you know where the NBA is in terms of teams relocating. I mean, how realistic is it in your mind that we see an NBA team back in Seattle in the foreseeable future? It's very realistic, and it's been realistic since the moment the Sonics were taken away. And the Sonics never should have left. Seattle never should have lost their team. I think it's one of the blights on David Stern's record as commissioner, um, there are other franchises that had that moved under his watch that you could justify. That one was not justifiable. Never should have happened. All due respect to, to Oklahoma and their great fans, but the the, the Seattle SuperSonics never should have um, never should have left. And 
Seattle's a great market. It's a great market by Nielsen ratings. It's a great market by by size, by corporate uh, you know support, by you know the local economy. It's a great market, uh, as you alluded to already, by fan passion. Those fans were insane. My first several years on the Laker beat was when the Sonics were obviously still there. All my years on the Laker beat, the Sonics were still there. But um, I think there was one playoff series my first year on the beat, and that place was just deafening, Key Arena. Um, so they should have a team. No question. But I am of the opinion, and I've long been of the opinion, and remain of the opinion, Chris Mannix, that they should get an existing team. I am an expansion Grinch. I do not believe in expansion. We can get into that. Yes, Seattle should have a team. Yes, sooner than later. It's been too long as it is. No, I am not going to actually list which teams I think should move because all it does is inflame fan bases and people start talking about your threatening Yeah, but we know who you're talking about. We know who you're talking about. You're talking about New Orleans. You're talking about New Orleans. I know you're talking about There are a couple of possibilities. Let's just say that. There are a couple of possibilities. New Orleans is at the top of the list because their (laughs) arena is dog shit and they're constantly in the... um, in the news for potential move. Plus they've got some ownership stuff. Like and it's a it, tiny market that's and it. the local economy in terms of, of corporate support, uh, fortune 500 companies, all that stuff. It's just not there. Like it's always been a bit of a flimsy market for the NBA, but so was Oklahoma in a lot of ways. Um, and that's not a, a, a shot at fans. It's just to say that market size matters in sports. Um, Fortune 500 companies and, and to buy luxury suites and all that stuff matters in sports. So it's it's not a knock on these places. And I love New Orleans in particular. In fact, you know, as, as long as you're going to out me on this, as I think you've, prob- you've probably noted, we've talked about this before. My thought has always been move the Pelicans to Seattle, make New Orleans the permanent site of the All-Star game as compensation. New Orleans is a great host for All-Star. It's a walkable city. You can get from the French Quarter to the arena and the convention center really easily. Um, And it's a great host. I just don't know that it's the best full-time NBA city. And now everybody in New Orleans, including the local media, is going to can I you know, to can I tell a quick New Orleans yeah can I tell a quick New Orleans All Star story that I, I may have told you this before I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast but what was it 08 when the NBA was in New Orleans that was the year that Jason Kidd was like traded during All Star Weekend or something yes um no, one I of my that was- were we in Dallas the weekend he was traded or New Orleans? I no, we were, we in, were in New Orleans. I know okay. this for I know this for a fact, and I'm going to tell you why I know this for a fact because um, I remember it was one of my first All Star games. I think going. Um, I remember in my, my first time in New Orleans. I remember going down to Bourbon Street on Thursday, going to Pat O'Brien's, having about 900 hurricanes. And this is the story is shocking already, be, Maddox. I cannot believe you on Bourbon Street so, pounding Howard, hurricanes. Being so hungover because of Thursday that I missed the All Star game on Sunday, like that's how hungover oh, I was from Bourbon Street. And I remember this because, like, the kid deal happened. I believe like Saturday or something. No, the was kid happening. deal happened. It was consummated at halftime of the game. I right, remember whenever it was. I remember writing when, it live because I was still sober, Chris. Yeah, when, whenever, but whatever it was, like we were a weekly magazine at that point, yes. and I got a call saying we need a one-page column on the impact of Jason Kidd being traded. I'm sitting there, I'm like, the impact of Jason Kidd being traded is Team X is good and Team Y is bad. Like, I had nothing going on up in my brain because of New Orleans, but yeah. that, that's my way of agreeing with you. Great city for All-Star. And by, by the way, All-Star games in New Orleans, 2008, the one you just memorably retold, uh, Again in 2014 and again in 2017, 
uh, one of those was the relocation after they bailed out of Charlotte because of the bathroom law, the so-called bathroom law. And so it's been a very frequent, more than any other city, more than any other arena, uh, it's been a frequent host for All-Star, and it's great there. And so, yeah, listen, um, I, I think New Orleans, um, place we all love to go, but I, I don't know that it's the best place for an NBA city. But so Seattle, I mean, all the, the, the discussion has not been about relocation. It's been about expansion. And the expansion thing is, is about adding two teams. The reports slash speculation slash informed speculation, whatever, has been one team in Seattle, one team in Las Vegas, a place that David Stern once vowed the NBA would never be unless they took the NBA off the, out of the sports books. But we are in a much different world now with regard to sports gambling. Much different um, commissioner, too. Much different commission, but even even Stern, by the time you know he had stepped down and and in his retirement years, I think David had kind of evolved on this one a little bit too. But yes, Adam has been much more embracing of it than than David Stern was. Um, but I am an expansion Grinch still to this day, and and the bottom line, Chris, is this: I don't know how deep we want to go on this t- subject, but I, the quality of basketball will suffer. Like the when people say, look, there's more talent worldwide than ever because of of how much the international game has expanded and, and reached across the globe. All true, yes. But there's more baseline talent than ever. There's a lot of B and C level players, tons and tons of guys who could be your 13th, 14th, 15th man, who could be in the G League and 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 on a given day could jump up to the NBA. There's a lot of guys who could fill the end of a roster. There are not a lot of guys who could fill a starting rotation. There are not a lot of guys who can anchor a team. And that's the thing that's most important. I was just talking to a couple of different team execs over the last couple of days about this because I was like, listen, am I going too far on this or am I on solid ground here? And I and they agreed with me. They didn't agree with me necessarily on expansion because they think it's good for the game overall. Financially, you bring in more fan bases. There's more people invested in the league in other cities. Okay, that's fine. But when I ask strictly on a basketball level, are there truly enough high-level quality players to populate two more 15-man rosters without diluting the whole league? They agree with me. There really isn't. Um, Think of it this way. Any given year, Chris, we know there's like five real superstars who can change your team single-handedly, right? Ten who are really great. There are like 30, maybe 40 guys who really drive winning. Everybody else is, I don't want to say interchangeable, but the vast majority of the league is kind of interchangeable. So I, I did a quick exercise. I'm using ESPN rank because our own Sports Illustrated rankings are not complete yet, so I, I can't use this as the reference point. So for purposes of this discussion, if you used ESPN rank, and you looked at the top 25 players for this season. 15 of the top 25 are on seven teams. That means 23 teams do not have a top 25 player already without adding two teams. If you go a little deeper, let's say 35 players, the top 35 players, again, using ESPN rank, 25 of the top 35 are on 11 teams. So there are a lot of teams that just do not have a top 25 player, a top 35 player, whatever it may be. Or maybe you've got one guy and he's like the 27th best player and the 27th best player as your best player is good enough to be like a 38-40 win team. That's it. So adding two teams, you're diluting the pool further. Any given year, there's like a half dozen teams that if I were um, head of household making, you know, average salary, average, you know, average wage in the U.S., I would not pay money to see. I'm telling you, if I were, if I lived in Salt Lake City right now, would I pay money to, to see this version of the Utah Jazz? No. Would I go pay to see the San Antonio Spurs? No. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay to see the Pacers. I like there's, I wouldn't pay to see, I'm not even sure I'd pay to see the magic with Paolo Bancaro to be determined uh, whether he's, he's worth the price of admission. And I, these are not knocks on those franchises. These are not, not like everybody's in a different state. And these are teams that have been great in the recent past. It's just that in any given year, there isn't enough talent and high level talent to go around. And the average fan wants to see stars. They want somebody that motivates them to spend all their hard earned cash because that guy that I'm watching tonight with my kids and my family and paying, you know, $20 per beer, because I want to see that player who either is already a stud or is going to be a star sometime soon. There aren't enough of those guys, even now with 30 teams, and there won't be with 32. I'm going to lose on this. They're going to expand <laughs> and and it's fine. But I, I truly believe there's not enough talent to support expansion and we won't see the results of that until it actually happens. I agree with you. Um, you move a team, sorry, New Orleans, move a team like the Pelicans to Seattle. You don't have to worry about realignment. You put a team in a smaller market into a bigger one, one that has a built-in fan base. It makes all the sense in the world. But you and I both know what actually matters here, and that's money. And the expansion fee for a team is likely to exceed $2 billion. Like, that's what the going rate is now for an NBA team. You, you could see Phoenix, when they're ultimately sold, you know, collect $3 billion. So you're talking about or anywhere more. from four... <laughs> If you're, yeah, but like you're talking for two expansion teams, anywhere from four to six billion dollars going into the NBA pot. Owners are just not going to walk away from that. You, you, they probably agree with you. I'm sure you get them in a room. They'll tell you, no, there isn't enough talent to go around in the NBA. It's going to dilute the game. It's going to make the game worse. But four to six billion dollars. So we're going to go to Seattle. We're going to go to Las Vegas. We're going to move Memphis or New Orleans into the Eastern Conference. And then we are going to be set with 32 NBA teams. That's the way it's going to go. We both know yeah. it's it's not going to go any other way. Look, if, if it uh, at least gets us to some realignment where some of the teams that are so far east actually go to the Eastern Conference instead of being in the West, like... Uh, you know, New Orleans shouldn't be in the Western Conference. Minnesota shouldn't be in the Western Conference. Memphis shouldn't be in the Western Conference. I mean, just re just geographically speaking, you look at the map of the United States and you say, what are we doing? Um, and those those are really long uh, trips for teams. Um, and you're right. There's two pieces, though, of the financial side. One is, yes, if they can charge these new ownership groups three, four, even five billion each, and now they're dividing that new revenue or that that those those fees amongst all the existing owners, they're all making out really well. That's hard to say no to. The backside of it is your new national media rights deals are now split 32 ways instead of 30. Now they can they can put in limits. They can embargo it. They can say like, no, you guys don't get to share in the full share of the media rights deals in the first year, two, three, five, whatever. They, they, they can condition it. But eventually those two expansion teams are going to take one thirty second of the national media deals and any other national uh, revenue that, that the league uh, divides. And so they have to consider that too. Smarter people than me, uh, especially smarter on money, will figure that out and they'll probably find a way to make that work just fine. I have no doubt. Uh, my real issue here is not is not the money. I, I, the money is the reality. But if, if you care about quality basketball, you're going to have two very average teams being added and it's going to to draw from 
all the other teams, teams that do have two stars. That's the thing. In an era where we have all these guys, stars wanting to play with stars, and that's probably always been the case, but more so now, if stars keep joining up with stars, as I was saying earlier with the ESPN rank uh, stuff as an example, if there's two or three stars on one team, that's a bunch of teams that have none. And to the extent that you also need high-level role players to win a championship, well, those high-level role players that were on a team with two stars now might get to be get become max players who are actually number one on another team when really they're suited to best suited to be number two or number three, but now they're number one and making number one type money on another team. And that that's how this will go. So you'll have a, a lot of teams that you'd be like, eh, they're kind of blah. I'm not, they're not really that interesting. And again, that's fine. If, that's, if the NBA wants to do that, not my place to say they shouldn't, but I, I don't, I don't think it's great for the game. No. And the NBA doesn't care because <laughs> bottom line is they can make more money and yep. that's always going to, usurp any other uh, criteria there. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
All right. Um, I want to talk about the Lakers briefly before we get into the GM survey. I was at, uh, I keep wanting to say Staples. I was at Crypto.com Arena uh, on Monday night. Saw the Lakers opener against the Kings. Uh, look, Anthony Davis looked great. I wrote about him for SI.com on Tuesday. Um, I, I think he's in position to have a good bounce back year. LeBron James going to be fine. But I watched that Laker team, Howard, and all the questions I had coming in, are still the same questions. Do they have enough shooting to make it work with this with this group? Is Russell Westbrook going to fit in? I saw them bring Patrick Beverly. I think he was the first guy off the bench. That didn't make any sense to me. Patrick Beverly should be starting uh, for this team and being that defensive point of attack that uh, Darvin Ham keeps preaching about. I, I just... I didn't walk... I mean, look, the final score doesn't really matter. That The second half was played with all second unit, third unit guys. Uh, and in the first half, the Lakers played pretty well overall as a team. But, you know, I watched how the Kings were defending the Lakers. They were really coming, you know, playing off a lot of their perimeter players. And that's going to be a theme all season long. I mean, Kendrick Nunn has looked great this week. I mean, Lakers coaches have raved about how Kendrick Nunn has looked, and he basically is... The Lakers' biggest free agent acquisitions. They didn't play a minute last year, but I've got major concerns still about how the Lakers create enough space so Davis, LeBron can operate uh, without seeing two or three bodies every time they go to the basket. Yeah, look, I, I'm going to need to see a lot of Laker preseason success. Actually, scratch that. I'm going to need to see a lot of Laker regular season success um, in a couple weeks before I buy in. Um, you alluded to the GM survey earlier. The GMs are not buying it either. There is not a single question on the GM survey that indicated any level of confidence by the league's GMs in what the Lakers have and where they're headed. Um, I, I don't think anybody should dismiss the, the latest report from The Athletic and the continuing murmurings around the league that if they find the right deal for Westbrook, they'll do it, but that there's also a little bit of a wait-and-see thing going on, I think, which is that the Lakers do want to see if the – Simply having a different voice and a different coaching style in Darvin Ham might bring out a different, better version of Westbrook. And if they get off to a strong start, maybe he stays. If they get off to a really rough start, it's just going to accelerate uh, all this once again. Or it's certainly going to accelerate the discussions, um, whether they they find the right deal or whether they finally cave on on throwing in the two first-round picks that they can deal. We'll see. But... Um, you know, we would we should never take too much away from, you know, a few minutes in a preseason game anyway, especially when starters aren't playing full minutes and it's, you know, it's all just preseason. Um, but in general, like with the Lakers, and I think the whole league feels this way, like, let's just see. Let, let's just see which version of Westbrook they're going to get. Let's just see if they if they have enough shooting, <clears throat> which they clearly don't. No, I, I look, I think it's still, you know, when I, when I talk to people across the league, it's it's always a question of when, not if, the Lakers trade Westbrook. It's just, you know, can they find the deal that they feel brings them enough to justify giving up two first-round picks? Indiana continues to be the team most frequently mentioned as a trading partner. Uh, you mentioned the athletic story. They brought this up, and it's been in the water supply for months now, it seems. The Buddy Heald, Miles Turner package that would send Westbrook to Indiana plus two first-round picks. Another team to watch, I believe, is Charlotte. Um, if the Lakers have any kind of interest in Gordon Hayward, maybe it wouldn't cost them two first-round picks to move off Westbrook's contract. Uh, the Hornets, they're bad. They are. I watched them play against Boston, the preseason opener. Um, 
LaMelo's got no one to throw to now, now that Miles Bridges is presumably done with that team for at least a while. Um, and Steve Clifford, as good as he is a defensive coach, cannot fix those problems there. So keep an eye on Charlotte as a potential Westbrook destination, but it just feels like they're going to do it at some point. And then we'll see what the Lakers have after the dust settles there. Because I, I just I didn't believe a couple of weeks ago that Beverly and Dennis Schroeder, who's not even there yet, and Westbrook and Kendrick Nunn could all operate in the same backcourt. I still don't believe it. So yeah. it's a glut. I, I think it's just a. It, we have to see what the Lakers look like when they're finally the team that we think they're going to be. No, they've created a glut in the backcourt. You know, this is a, a you know a problem of their own creation. It it only makes sense if it's either one. Well, we just grabbed whoever we could get who was a value, and, and hey, we could get Pat Beverly for for very little. We could get Dennis Schroeder for minimum contract. We're just, we're just getting guys who are decent rotation guys who are available. They just all happen to be guards. You could look at it that way, and then Kendrick Nunn finally coming back from injury last season. Or you could look at it as, eh, we're eventually going to trade Westbrook, and we need guards, and we need guards who fit better with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And Patrick Beverly does, and Dennis Schroeder does, and Westbrook may you know, be better than both of them and has had a, a greater career by far, but it doesn't mean he's the best fit. And especially at this stage of his career. But again, listen, there's always the possibility that Russell Westbrook responds differently to Darvin Ham. There's always the possibility that Russell Westbrook finds a way to reel in his game and channel it in moments as opposed to ball dominance and and, and needing to, to still play like the old Russell Westbrook of, of his prime, if he can accept a different role, which you and I agree should probably mean playing sixth man as well, which is a, a step they're not taking at least yet. But these are big ifs. These are big ifs. I, you know, if you're a Laker fan and if you're the Lakers who have all this money invested in Westbrook, not to mention all the stuff you gave up to get him, you almost have no choice but to say, oh, come on, let, let, cross your fingers, <laughs> close your eyes, say a little prayer to the basketball gods and hope that this works. And if it doesn't, all right, fine. We'll relinquish those picks later. We'll trade them later. We'll figure it out later. But I mean, shit, even if Westbrook does work out well, whatever that means, the idea of trading him for, say, the Miles Turner buddy healed package makes the Lakers better instantly anyway. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that, period, other than trying to save face and justify the deal that you made a year ago. I mean, you got a three... Look, I'm not saying Turner is a perfect player, but he is a three-point shooting center that you can play opposite of Anthony Davis. Three-point shooting and shot blocking. Very good shot blocking. So now you got two shot blockers in the paint. Uh, I'm not... Buddy Heald, obviously, a flawed player, but the guy can shoot close to 40% from three, and I've said this to you before... When has a shooter not thrived playing opposite LeBron James? Of course. He, he always makes these shooters better, and I think Buddy Heal would be great there. I mean, I look, it's not a the deal isn't going anywhere. I think the Pacers, because they want to get into the Victor Wembayama sweepstakes, which is heating up with, you know, San Antonio and Houston and Utah. You know, Charlotte maybe in that mix. Um I, you know, I, I think they'll want to move off those guys eventually, no matter what. But if you're the Lakers, you don't want to get off to a slow start. You don't want to get that, that too much negativity surround this team. I think that's a deal. If nothing bigger materializes, you've got to do uh, sooner rather than later. All right. I want to jump into this NBA GM survey, which is always fascinating, right? It always gives us a little bit of insight into what the decision makers in the league are thinking about. Um, 
At the top, we don't have to get too much into this with the Bucks. They are ranked as the team most likely to win the NBA Finals, 43% of the vote uh, from Milwaukee. That doesn't really surprise me, Howard, because, you know, look, you've heard the argument that if Milwaukee had Chris Middleton, they probably don't lose to Boston. Maybe they go on to win the championship against Golden State. They got a little bit better this offseason. I think Joe Ingles is going to help when he eventually comes back. Um, Any surprises there for you at the top? The only surprise is that only it appears only four teams received votes. And the way John Schumann, our buddy at NBA.com, does this, he usually includes everybody who received a vote. So so it's only four teams. So Bucks at 43%, Warriors at 25%, Clippers 21%, Celtics 11%. In a time when we all agree, like both the East and West have a ton of parity and there are a bunch of teams that could come out of either conference, it's at least a little bit of, of a surprise to me, Chris, that like the Sixers didn't get a vote that the Nuggets maybe didn't get a vote. The Suns have a cloud over them, so maybe it's not surprising there. The Nets have a thousand caveats and and, and weirdness, uh, but like uh, the Nets have the talent to win it all. So, I mean, I don't blame anybody for not going there, to be clear. But it, given that both conferences have, I would say, three, four teams, maybe five, that could plausibly consider themselves contenders, that only four teams across the league got votes at all and so heavily weighted toward the Bucks um, is a little surprising because I don't know about you. I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite in either conference. There are teams I could make plausible cases for and that if you made a case I couldn't argue against, but there is no singular overwhelming favorite in either conference this season. No, and I, I think the Bucks probably get the benefit of some doubt because of the continuity that they've had. This group has been together for... Yeah several years now the core of the championship team from a couple of years ago is intact and Middleton assuming he's healthy this season you know they're gonna get right back on track and they're the most probably reliable team you can turn to as you mentioned questions with everybody else at this point so I I I got that when I first saw that top line on the GM survey now I want to get to the player stuff um the MVP was interesting to me According to the GMs, 48% believe that Luka Doncic will be the MVP. Now, Howard, I think Doncic is going to have a monster year, put up the best numbers of anybody in the NBA. What concerns me is an argument that you and I have had in the past about team success and how that should reflect on the MVP. Dallas made the conference finals last year, but... They lost Jalen Brunson. They didn't really replace him. They replaced him internally, you know, with some guys. They're assuming Tim Hardaway comes back and is healthy and a couple of other things. And they have a full year of Dinwiddie and all that, yeah. Yeah, Dinwiddie steps up, all that. But, I mean, it's not a stretch to say the Mavericks are like a five or a six seed in the Western Conference. And the number of guys that have won MVP on those types of teams, you can count on one hand. I mean... Most recently, I mean, look, Jokic has has done it. Obviously, Russell Westbrook has done it. But it's rare that you see a player on a team that's not inside the top three win the MVP. So it did surprise me a little bit. The GMs must believe that Lucas is just going to go off. Like he's going to average a triple-double, do it in an efficient way, and have one of the best statistical seasons that we've ever seen. Because that's the only way I can see Luka winning the MVP. Well, the first thing is that the GMs are uh, as bad at this as the rest of us are, as <laughs> though, though they make a lot of really good money um, 
for being basketball experts at a higher level than you and I are. Uh, the GM survey, if you go back year after year, like I think their success record on these predictions is about as good as ours, maybe even worse. So there's that. Um, I do also think that they're not thinking of it in the way that we do, right? The ballots are in our hands. The media votes on MVP, for better or worse. And the way we have traditionally done it for decades, with a few exceptions, right? Jokic last season, and I didn't have him at the top. I had Giannis at the top um, because of the wins. Um, Westbrook several years ago. Most of the time, it's a player off of a 50-plus win team who's on a clear contender, usually first or second, maybe third in the conference. And so Jokic was a non-traditional choice last season. Westbrook was a non-traditional choice the year he won it. I think the GMs are not thinking of it the way we do. They're just looking like, who's the best player in the game right now? Or who's who's great? Who's going to have like, the kind of year that's going to like excite people? Maybe they even think that the lack of Brunson means that Lukic's numbers are going to go to a, to a whole other level of, of incredible, you know, whatever, gaudiness. And so maybe they're just basing it on that. But you're right. He The reason he's not going to win it is because the Mavericks are, I think, at best sixth in the West. They're definitely behind the Warriors, Clippers, Suns, Nuggets, and probably the Grizzlies. And then if, you know, if somebody else makes a leap, if the Pelicans or Timberwolves make a leap, it could be at the Mavericks expense. And those are teams that I do expect to make a leap. And then that's not even accounting for the Lakers and whatever they become. So I, I don't think the Mavericks are going to like miss the playoffs by any stretch, but they're not a top four team. And I don't think they're even a top five team. And that's going to hurt him on a lot of ballots, certainly mine, since I've always said that that team success matters to MVP in, in my book. Um, they had Luka first. They had Giannis second, so more of the traditional choice and obviously a two-time MVP winner. They had Embiid third. And Embiid, of course, has been the runner-up the last two years in a row. And, like, you know, it, it's... No one should be surprised if, like, if the Bucks have a great year, if Giannis wins it again. No one should be surprised if the Sixers, who could win the East... Um, if they have a great regular season and it's more about Embiid than Harden, then Embiid's going to get a lot of support. We know it's very rare for a guy to win it three years in a row, which maybe accounts for why Jokic didn't really get any support in the GM survey. Um, but yeah, uh, MVP is also really unpredictable, Maddox. Like w w the reason we always get this wrong and the GMs get this wrong is because you just don't know how the season's going to unfold. And so you you may know who the greatest players are. You can name the top three, four, five best players, and they're all candidates for MVP. But MVP is a product of both their own season and their team's success, always. And so what we don't see coming is like last year, the GMs had the Nets, uh, I think, winning it all, and they had Kevin Durant as their MVP in, in the in the survey. And as we know, the Nets, you know, had a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a stumble last season, to say the least. And so that that torpedoes it. But you don't see that coming necessarily. All right, let me tell you where they whiffed. They whiffed <laughs> not putting Jason Tatum on this list. I, I think Jason Tatum is more than a dark horse candidate because I look at the Celtics, and if they can figure out their coaching issues, they're going to be tough. They are loaded from top to bottom. Uh, they might have to... It might have some issues early on dealing with the absence of Robert Williams, but you got Horford, you got Grant Williams, you got some pieces there that can help you survive that. Jason Tatum, I think he's going to be one of those guys this year that averages close to 30 points a game. I think he's going to have a monster offensive season. And when you couple that with the fact that the Celtics, like the Sixers and like the, like the other top teams in the East, have a great chance of finishing the regular season with that number one seed... 
I think Tatum deserves more consideration. I think he's going to be inside the top five this year. And if he stays healthy and plays like 75-ish games at the level he was playing in the second half of last season, I think Tatum um, has a great chance of winning MVP. I'm surprised, frankly, you go down the list, Steph Curry had 3% of the vote. I think Tatum deserved that 3%. I think Tatum, because of what he can do offensively and because of what he was doing at the end of last season, not the finals, the end of last regular season, um, I think he deserved more consideration. That was the one area that I thought the GMs missed on. Tatum finished sixth in the MVP voting um, last season. And, you know, that was a tough year because the Celtics obviously started off pretty rough and they caught fire Awful. later. And so that probably hurt his candidacy a little bit. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a strong field. Uh, Jokic, of course, won it his second year in a row. And then he was followed by Embiid, Giannis, Booker, Doncic, and then Tatum. And then he was followed by Morant and Curry. Um, I mean, a lot of those same names are going to be on ballots this season. You know, maybe the GM survey, I don't know when they they filled these out. Did it reflect some uncertainty about the Celtics in the wake of the Ime Udoka suspension and the Robert Williams injury? And just kind of like, you know, look, they're opening the season under a little bit of a cloud. And I think that affects perceptions. And if you think, now this this runs counter to the argument about why they would pick Doncic, which is they're ignoring wins. But if you do think that wins matter and you think the Celtics might regress a little bit, maybe that could could hurt him. Um, but you're right. I mean, he should have at least been mentioned. But they're not filling out a five man ballot either, right? They're asking for they're asked for one name. Yeah, thirty people yeah. are asked for one name. So it doesn't take much for somebody to be, you know, quote unquote snubbed in this context because you're all listing one name. And like, I would there are a bunch of other guys I would list before I would list Tatum as the number one name. I, I, I don't like Tatum will be in the running, but I don't. I mean, he could win it. I'm not saying he can't. He's not the first name I would think of if I'm saying who I think will win it this season. I put him, I put him right up there, man. I really do. If the Celtics get off to a fast start and they finish with a top two seed, it's going to be because Jason Tatum plays phenomenally. So I think he's going to be uh, a real candidate at the end of the season. Um, all right, let's look at the uh, breakout season who the GMs have for that. Uh, uh, not a lot of unanimity here. Evan Mobley at the top of their list at 21%. Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards tied at 17%. Zion Williamson at 14%. I guess if I was going to... Look, if you're going to say that Zion qualifies for this category as a former number one pick and um, someone we know from watching him play has superior talent when he's out there on the floor, like he would be my obvious choice because if Zion is... 100% healthy, like, he's, I mean, he's an all-star, he's an all-NBA candidate, like, there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of accolades coming Zion's way if he can stay healthy. I mean, he would be my obvious choice if we're going to put someone like him on this list. Yeah, it's interesting. So, as you noted, Mobley, Cunningham, Edwards, Zion, but then the also receiving votes, it just kind of reflects how people view this. Like, Anthony Davis got some votes, and it's like, well, Anthony Davis is an established perennial star when healthy, but... GMs are clearly looking at this as, all right, here's a guy who had a really rough season and struggled with injury, whatever, and they're expecting a bounce back. Um, Rudy Gobert somehow got a vote or two. I don't know exactly. It was probably one vote. These are probably all one vote each, to, to be honest. But that's kind of weird. Like, how is Rudy Gobert at the stage of his career having a breakout is, season just because he's in Minnesota? Did, is Tim Conley voting for his own guys? Is, I don't think you can vote for your own guys. Um, uh, Calvin Booth? Maybe, maybe, or, maybe no, it was Justin Zanuck voting, voting for Rudy after he traded him. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Tyrese Halliburton got a vote. That's a good choice. Kuminga got a got a vote. I think that's an interesting choice. Tyrese Maxey. Ben Simmons got a vote. You know, again, missed an entire season. And so it's kind of the he's gonna, you know, bounce back and be great again and maybe be all in in the running for all NBA again. Um so it's it's interesting. I mean, the, the ones that they picked are mostly the younger guys who have shown some flashes and are ready to really burst out, right? Like that that makes sense to me. Um I those are I think those are all good names to have on that list. I got I got no issues there. Yeah. All right. They uh the best player at each position. Most of these no surprise. Steph Curry as the best point guard, Kevin Durant as the best small forward, Giannis as the best power forward. Jokic gets the nod as the best center. What I, I did think was interesting, Howard, best shooting guard in the NBA. Yeah. Devin Booker with Phoenix gets 45%. Luka Doncic is second at 28%, but he was the GM's favorite to win MVP. I, I don't quite follow well, that logic. How about this? How is Devin Booker the best two guard when Luka is yeah. the MVP? Are we not... I guess you could say, are we not qualifying Luca as a point guard? He's splitting this, votes at the, multiple positions. That one kind of threw me. So there's a lot of confusion potential with with these, right? So part of this is, look, we are in this, it's not a positionless era. It's a position fluid era. I hate when people say it's positionless. It's not positionless. Positions still exist to an extent. They're just more fluid than they've ever been. Um, Luca finished second among for, for best point guard. He finished second for best shooting guard. He finished third for best small forward. So we know like Luca is built like a small forward, but he plays like a point guard and is usually listed as point guard. He is their point guard. Um, but he scores enough that, that I guess some people put him at, at shooting guard on their ballots. Jason Tatum, the aforementioned Jason Tatum also received a vote at for best shooting guard. And Jason Tatum has never really been a guard in this league by any stretch, right? He's, he's always been a never. forward. So, never. so the GMs in this positionless slash position fluid era are as confused as the rest of us about how to classify guys. Um, I think what the GM survey needs to do as with everything else, either let's just do away with positions altogether and don't even ask this question. Or if you're going to ask position by position, according to the five traditional positions in basketball, then you got to say to everybody, give them the, give, put the parameters on it like you do with us in the media when we vote on these awards and say, Luca can only be eligible at point guard. And we would have better clarity on these ballots that the GMs filled out to the extent that this matters. It's not worth getting worked up over. But you're, you're creating confusion by basically not giving them any limits and saying anybody can be any position because now Luca pops up at three different positions and like that skews the results a little bit. But um, I think it's just interesting, by the way, it's a reflection on the quality of shooting guards in this league that the second highest vote getter behind Devin Booker is Luca and the third highest is Steph. And those guys are both point guards under also receiving votes. Again, these guys probably got one vote each Beal, who's definitely a shooting guard Harden, who has been both in his career and then Tatum, who has never been a shooting guard. What does it say about the shooting guard position? That 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 like most of the guys receiving votes are either not shooting guards or I think it's just it's it's odd. It's interesting. Yeah, it um it doesn't make a lot of sense. Luca is I mean, I I don't know how you view Luca. I, I guess you He's a I point guess guard. you see him as yeah, he's a big yeah. point guard. But guess what? LeBron yeah. has been a point guard his whole career too, and people keep calling him a forward. And he's been the, the primary ball handler, playmaker on every team he's ever been on since the first moment he stepped into the NBA. Yeah, yeah. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about the best overall moves made this offseason, which I'll lump in with the which one player acquisition will make the biggest impact because this is really between two teams and two players. The GMs uh, rate Cleveland's offseason as the best. 41% say the Cavs made the best overall moves this offseason, largely based on what they did in acquiring Donovan Mitchell. The one uh, Minnesota came in second, tied for second. With Philadelphia and Utah. Utah, the best overall moves? Okay. Uh, all right, I guess if you're looking for Victor Wembayama, they did. Well, um, look, I, I, I can see that one in the sense of, especially from a GM's perspective, if they agree that, you know what, it was the right time to blow it up and I love the hole they right. got, then you can say that. It right. makes sense. I, 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 yeah, I, I get that, I guess. Um, so so the, the next one is which player acquisitions make the biggest impact? Again, Cleveland, Donovan Mitchell, 59%. Rudy Gobert, 31%. I agree 
with the GMs that the Cavaliers made the best moves because I think the Cavaliers, not just this season, but for the foreseeable future, are set up really well to to have the core of a championship team. It's probably not going to happen this year, but if Donovan Mitchell is happy in Cleveland and they can make it work with him there, then you're looking at uh, Mitchell, Darius Garland backcourt, Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen, Isaac Okoro. I mean, they have the pieces to be a title-contending team in the next two or three years. But I think Gobert's going to have the biggest impact next year because I think Gobert's going to take Minnesota from a play-in team to a top-four team in the Western Conference. And that's because Rudy Gobert— Top four this season or top four eventually? No, top four, top five this season, I'll say. Top five this season. Because, look, one thing Rudy's proven he can do is completely overhaul a defense and help elevate a team— to the top of the regular season standings. He did that in Utah just a couple of seasons ago. Like, And look, you've got Anthony Edwards ready to break out. Carl Anthony Towns is a star. You've got some pieces there. Russell's still there. All they need is kind of that defensive backstop. Now they have it. So I think Rudy's going to make them a significantly better team. And I think he's going to have a bigger impact in one season than Donovan Mitchell will in Cleveland. I mean... They have farther to climb, so that's part of it, right? Like, the Cavs have already arrived, and Donovan Mitchell is just, like, the piece to try to put them over the top, whereas the Timberwolves, not quite arrived, but Gobert can take them from, you know, fringe playoff team to really solid playoff team. And again, like, I, you know, I was sketching out the, like, tiers, right? Like, not so much exact place finishes, but just the, the tiers of the West. To me, the top tier is the Warriors, Clippers, and Suns. My second tier is Nuggets and Grizzlies. And then after that, it's like, you know, Mavericks, Lakers, Pelicans, Wolves in some order. I'm not sure. Now, the the Wolves could be at the top of that group, which to me makes them probably sixth. I don't see the Timberwolves overtaking. You know, Denver, obviously, I'm making some assumptions about health and guys coming back and still being their old selves. But are the Timberwolves really going to be better than the Nuggets or the Grizzlies? And I think the Grizzlies might have overachieved a little last year, so there there is potential for them to slip. The Suns have some some weird stuff going on, clouds over them, not just Sarver, but DeAndre Ayton and, and that whole dynamic. So they could slip. So, I mean, listen, you're right on this count. Rudy Gobert, we've always talked about this. Rudy Gobert is a walking top five, top 10 minimum defense. You plug him into any team and it and it completely transforms them defensively just by his presence. He's that good. And the Timberwolves were already a team with plenty of offensive firepower between Towns and Edwards and, you know, even D'Angelo Russell. Like, they've got tons of scoring. So, yeah, it should work. This is this is one of those classic on paper things, right? Like, okay, uh, really good offensive team with a lot of talent, can't play defense worth a lick. You plug in a guy who's a walking top five, top ten defense, boom, there, there you are. Yes, there's a scenario where they're top five in the, in the West. But I'm, I'm not ready if I, if I, to, to make that leap myself. Um, so I, I, but I think they're like, they're a good vote for most improved and best acquisitions and all that. And yeah, Rudy Gobert might have the bigger impact on them than, than Mitchell on, on Cleveland, but only because Mitchell, well, because Cleveland was already pretty damn good and it already had their breakthrough. Yeah. And look, look, I think Rudy Gobert makes Minnesota better, but I still look at the Timberwolves as a team with a ceiling, whether it's this year or in the coming years, whereas adding Donovan Mitchell coupled with the other young pieces there, 
I don't know what Cleveland's ceiling is. Cleveland's ceiling might be a championship with this group. Not this year, but in the years to come, I think they've got enough pieces to win a title, whereas I don't know if uh, Minnesota does. All right, a couple other things I want to finish with. I want to jump to coaching, where Eric Spolstra, once again, getting the nod as the best head coach in the NBA. By last year, Yeah, last year, Spolstra got 55% of the vote. This year, he gets 52% of the vote. I mean, he's a great coach. You and I can both agree on that. But does it surprise you to see year after year these GMs give Spolstra that nod? Uh, does it surprise me? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I, I think I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Heat, every single year, you know, they had their championship years where you expect them to do it all because they had LeBron and Wade and Bosch and, and all that. And then every every year since then has been a year to kind of really actually truly appreciate how great Spolstra is because he gets the most out of his team year after year after year. Like Jimmy Butler is a really great player, but Jimmy Butler is not the best in the NBA at any one thing. And Bam Adebayo is really good, but you know, Bam's not like some, you know, drop 25, 30 on your, on your head every night kind of player. And Kyle Lowry is, is way past his prime. And like the heat just grind stuff out, grind out wins and, and, you know, get best record in the East and, and that kind of stuff without ever having the best talent in the, in the years since LeBron departed. And so I think there's a lot of that. Like Steve Kerr finished second in this poll at 22%, and it's not a knock on Kerr. And he's, I think he's probably won this before in previous years during during their run. But, you know, you look at what the Warriors have to work with, and you think, oh, okay, well, Kerr is awesome, but hey, he's got Steph. What, is, what does Spolster have? Well, he's got Jimmy Butler, who's a very unconventional type of NBA star, and some other really good players, but not that same level. So it's probably part of, partially that. You know, Pop is now perennially finishing somewhere in the top five. He's third this year at 7%, which meant he got like two or three votes. Um, is Pop still probably on balance the best coach in the NBA? Maybe, but like he can't show it now that he's got a different kind of roster, a rebuilding roster. Um, I mean, if I'm surprised by anything, Mannix, it's that Ty Lu only got 5% of the vote. Like Ty Lu, again, it's, it's not to place him over anybody else. And again, this is a single slot vote, right? They can name one person. They're not ranking them. So you don't get the benefit of being able to do ranked choice voting here where you can give a little bit of credit to everybody and see where it pans out. You get one choice. But I would have thought that Ty Lue, with everything he's done, um, would have gotten a little bit more than 5%. But other than that, like, you know, Monty Williams got 7%, same as Pop. Also receiving votes, which is probably one vote each, uh, Budenholzer and Taylor Jenkins. Um there's always like seven to 10 guys who are in the running for coach of the year, I think, and who are, who are legitimately in, in the conversation. And, uh, you know, they, they, they hit most of them. You know, who's actually missing off this, this list who should be there. Actually, now that I'm looking at it, how is Nick nurse not getting a single vote? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't The disrespect for Nick nurse is kind of weird being honest. Like it, I mean, the guy, you know, took on Kawhi Leonard and look, Kawhi's a great player, but added him to the mix, won a championship in his first year. Like, that's impressive. They you know, developed ask, the heck out of their young guys. Amazingly. They're one of the best player development systems in the NBA, and that's a team effort, don't get me wrong, yeah. but Nick Nurse is at the head of that coaching staff. That is a little bit wild. Um, one more thing on coaches. Uh, which new or relocated head coach will make the biggest impact on his new team? Darvin Ham got 48% of the vote here. Mike Brown was second at 31%. I, if I was voting or if I thought would think of the way the voting would go, I would have flipped that. I mean, you know my Sacramento Kings fandom. We talked about it at the head of the podcast. But, <laughs> like, and look, I love Darvin Ham. I, I, I was one of his staunchest supporters over the last couple of years of getting a head coaching job because 
he came up the ranks the right way, came up the hard way. You know, ex-player, learned under great coaches on the job, spent a lot of time under Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta and then Milwaukee, certainly worthy of that opportunity. But Darvin Ham, his success will hinge on Anthony Davis's health. Like, that's really what it comes down to. And the ability to move off Russell Westbrook and go with a more conventional lineup. But I don't, whether it's Darvin Ham or Frank Vogel, I don't look at that Lakers team's path being any different depending on who had coaches. I mean, Darvin Ham is preaching defense. Two of the last three years, the Lakers were top three defense in the NBA. Yeah. Frank Vogel didn't forget how to coach defense last year. The personnel changed on him. I think that uh, Mike Brown can have a bigger impact. And it goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show. The pieces are there for Sacramento to be really good offensively. They've got Keegan Murray. They've got Kevin Herter. De'Aaron Fox, I think, will play better. Sabonis and Fox, they played well in spurts towards the end of last season. Where they struggle is defense. And Mike Brown comes into this situation with a defensive reputation. So if, he, if that can rub off on the Kings, if his uh, principles, if his defensive strategy can work for them, he can take them from an outside-the-playoff team to an inside-the-playoff team. And I, I just think that's going to be more impactful or would be more impactful than whatever it is Darvin Ham does in L.A. I mean, the 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 weird contradiction in the poll on this one is they picked Darvin Ham over Darvin Ham overwhelmingly as the coach, the new coach who will make the biggest impact on his new team. But when it came to ranking the West, they had the Lakers eighth, which is barely <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Barely ahead of where they were. So if Darvin Ham is going to And they make, just missed the playoffs last year. So yeah, like so that's basically yeah. a, nu- a nudge above where they were last season. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nominal impact. Now, that said, the Kings don't show up at all. This went uh, nine nine deep. And so basically, it looked like they asked the, them to rank... Yeah, they did. So they, they asked uh, the GMs to rank the top four teams in the West. So if you made this list, you got at least one vote for fourth, which includes the Lakers and the Pelicans, both getting some fourth place votes. The Timberwolves are, are just above them. But the Kings don't even show up. So they're, and that's, that, look, that's expected. I don't think anybody's expecting the Kings, no matter what improvement they make under Mike Brown and with Keegan Murray and with a full season of Sabonis, the Kings are not jumping to top four. I don't know the Pelicans are going to be top four either, but they got at least one vote from the GMs. But that the Lakers finish eighth in, in these expected rankings in the West would seem to contradict the idea that Darvin Ham's making the biggest impact. I think that's more of a reflection of just the the um, universal respect that Darvin Ham has from team executives across the league. It's as, it's as simple as that. Like they, They're voting for him because they think Darvin Ham is, is going to be a great head coach. Um, maybe he's the right voice at the right time for this team. Maybe they even think that he's going to get through to Westbrook as opposed to being the one who just kind of weathers him until they trade him. Um, but if Darvin Ham actually, you know, meets the expectations that the GMs have laid out in this survey, it means the Lakers have 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 done an amazing turnaround. They won't be eighth. If Darvin Ham is true, like is if if this tracks to say the coach of the year voting that we're doing next spring. It means that the Lakers have taken a huge leap and Darvin Ham has done an incredible job and the Lakers are are truly back in the mix as a top four, five, six team. Uh, I think most people, including the GMs, would agree that that's a stretch to uh, to predict right now. Hey, they get inside that top four this year. Darvin Ham 
will <laughs> he's gonna be coach of the year. a phenomenal job he's gonna phenomenal be coach of the job. year if that happens he will be coach of the year at that point i just i like the impact mike brown's gonna make because they're my kings howard i'm all in baby i mean I'm all in listen sacramento kings I went to school at UC Davis, just down the road from Sacramento. I'm a Northern California native. I've always got a soft spot there. When other beat writers are always bagging on Sacramento as a place that they they don't want to go, I always have to be the one to stand up for it. So I, I, I welcome you, Mannix, to the Sacramento uh I don't even want to, it's not the fan club. It's it's like the respect club. Welcome to the to the group of people who at least have some nominal level of respect for Sacramento, the Kings. It's a gorgeous arena, the Golden One Arena. They did a great job with that downtown. They just need to have a team worthy of it. So uh, maybe this is the year. Keegan Murray, rookie of the year. Heard it here first. <laughs> Howard, we'll do it again next week. Always a pleasure, my friend. And when we come back, Sarah Kustak. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah Kustak is here, back on the podcast. Yes, network analyst, CBS Sports, woman of all trades, everywhere, omnipotent, <laughs> omnipresent. Mannix, I'm just trying to be like you. I just want to be like you when I grow up. Uh, no, you don't. I'm I'm sitting in my L.A. hotel room, boarding a flight for New York in a couple of hours. Hey. After which I'll board a flight to, I think, Arizona for something boxing related. After which I'm going to Abu Dhabi in a few weeks for... Are you going to Abu Dhabi? I'm going to Abu Dhabi, yes. yes. Wait, in Big. a few weeks? Oh, for uh, boxing. Think, well, yeah, early November in boxing. Yeah, uh, boxing stuff. So the Middle East I'm is actually, the new home I'm, I'm calling the two, the Hawks-Bucks games for the world feed. Of course, so of course you around are. around the world. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> but I am not going to Abu Dhabi. I'm going to Secaucus. See, Secaucus. <laughs> it's almost the same. Secaucus, Abu Dhabi, you know. There are buildings in both. <laughs> Construction. I've, I've never been to Abu Dhabi, take, that is. I've been to Secaucus. Might take you as long to get to, get to Secaucus <laughs> as to Abu Dhabi at the wrong time of day. I'll tell you that hey, much. Tunnels. The tunnels will get you. Um, so you have a bird's eye view of maybe the most interesting team in the league this year. The Nets, after all that offseason drama, reconvened everybody, really added to the mix because you got Royce O'Neal there, a couple other pieces um, as part of that group. And on paper, look as good as any team in the league. But as you well know, championships are not won on paper. So give me a sense. You've, you've had a week's worth of training camp, one preseason game. Like, What's the vibe right now like in Brooklyn? The vibe is good. And I know you think I'm saying that because I'm around the team. I call the team's games. But there has been many iterations of this group. And when you talk about the last three, four seasons, a team when signing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving immediately having championship aspirations, uh, I, I think you've watched the progressions. And obviously there has not been a season that has gone as planned. And in the preseason, everyone is optimistic. But given all that occurred throughout the course of this offseason, I didn't know what to expect. I think all of us were anxiously anticipating what's it going to look like, what's it going to sound like, and more importantly, what it, is it going to feel like? And I think all of us were just really blown away by the honesty, um, the insightfulness that everyone showed at Media Day, and the shared accountability on what happened, and everyone um, – saying they were all in but understanding that saying one thing is different than doing another thing and for what I've seen watching practices being around the group um, obviously just having the first preseason game uh, it feels like everyone's back in and understands what they want to do and it's been said a lot with this group but I think it's very true individually everyone has some sort of motivation chip on their shoulder um, reason for a elevated level of hunger going into it. And I think you see that collectively as well. 
so at this point, again, it's it's a lot of words. Uh, it's a lot of energy, but the energy is good. And I think by all accounts, from what you would hope for, it's in the in the best case scenario as you head into the season. So when Kevin Durant came back, I mean, it didn't surprise me that he's just once again focused on basketball. The guy's just a hooper. Like, he just... Like when people would write, like maybe Kevin Durant will sit out, and of course not, he's not going to sit out. Kevin Durant loves basketball, and he's not going to waste the last three or four years or whatever it is of his career, you know, arguing over a contract dispute. But Kyrie is always a wild card, right? Like he's, you just don't know what you're going to get with him. What's he been like over this last week? I mean, he, he looked great at times in the preseason opener. He looked like the old Kyrie with some of the moves that he was making. But what's been kind of your your vibe off him specifically engaged competitive he he always upticks I've never been in a building or a practice or any time that he's been hooping and you could say the same thing about Kevin um but I've seen this especially in Kyrie from the first time he stepped on the court when you know Kevin came over and he was still rehabbing uh from his injury the level of compete changes the the juice in the gym changes and you've seen that you've seen that from him um, the way in which he engages with teammates, um, the vocal nature of it, both with teammates, coaching staff, across the board. And I think he's someone, too, that understands, again, he said it in media day, understands the circumstances he's in and, you know, playing the season and what his future looks like, but not just long-term future, the immediate future, the player he believes he's in, he is. And he's shown to be the the work that he has poured into his craft to be this player. And so I think, you know, him in particular, I, I've always been impressed, obviously, with his game. I always have had the utmost respect for him, how he's treated all of us and, and been around all of us. But I just think even early on with the young guys, with the veterans, you name it, um, he, he is a special, special talent. But he's also translated that into the teammate that he's shown to be on the floor. So... What in your mind, then, is the biggest question for this team? Because they have the talent to be the number one team in the East. They have a talent to win a championship. They've got proven playoff performers on their team. Like, what's the thing that could derail them? What's the the potential pitfall? To me, health. And, you know, that that probably is first and foremost for every team. But I think health. You When you speak of this group, I think oftentimes, as you said it, to start things on paper. Uh, look at this lineup on paper. Look at the rotation on paper. So more than anything, one, I would say health and availability. And then two, it, it's always come down to how teams mesh and, and how teams vibe, how teams get through the, the – obviously highs are easy, you're winning, but when you hit some of those challenges throughout the course of the season, and I don't need to tell you that the East is a absolute monster. It is stacked across the board. So you could be – a extremely talented team, a gelled team, uh, one that is competing and liking each other, enjoying on the floor. It doesn't mean when you're looking at Milwaukee, you're looking at Boston, you're looking at Philly, uh, keep going down the list of these teams. I mean, it, this is not easy. And so can you continue to withstand and stay together through the, those ups and downs of the season? And I also think positionally, like there, there's a ton of optionality with this roster, how you want to play. 
Um, I think they're still, we saw it in the first preseason game, but, you know, a lot of guys coming back from injury. So how Ben Simmons continues to fare after the back surgery, what Seth Curry comes back looking like, is Joe Harris the Joe Harris you knew him to be? A bit of an X factor in, in what TJ Warren, I know he's a ways off, but c- can he provide the boost that the team may hope for in signing him? Um, but th- there is a leanness in that five spot in the center position. So when you're looking at the bigs, the front court, Brooklyn wants to play fast. You can tell it how they play. They want to push the pace. Um, but I think just in terms of the one position that there is a lack of depth and a hopefulness and optimism in some of the young guys in that position in Nicholas Claxton, Dayron Sharp, the ability to use Ben at the five, potentially Kevin at the five, what Marquis Morris looks like, that's one position that I think when you think about matching up against jo- Joel Embiid, matching up against some of the bigs in Milwaukee, um, how that fares out. But overall, to me, it, it, it starts and ends with health and availability. And then after that, just the, the East – no matter how good you think you are across the board, every team in the East feels that they have a chance, and, and they legitimately do. Yeah, I'm not even worried about the Nets' size at this point because they're going to make teams play down to them. Like, it, it, you look at the lineup they can throw out there. I mean, you know, you, you have Durant, Irving, Harris, and Seth Curry out there. You could put Mr. Whammy on the floor. You still have the best three-point shooter. <laughs> Careful, like, Mr. Whammy will jump out on the floor. He will. But, like, you would. Like, that's just... It, it doesn't matter what Ben Simmons can do shooting the ball. Like, that's just too good a three-point shooting team to be stopped. I mean, Simmons is the ultimate wild card, right? I mean, what, what did you see from him in the, the preseason opener? And did it tell you anything about how the Nets are going to use him this year? To me, I wouldn't term it as a wild card. First and foremost, I'll say he has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, being around, he's been around in during the summer and in Brooklyn and training, training with guys. Um, you could tell that he is in a really great place of how he feels and the comfort he feels and his excitement to actually be on the floor, be playing. And I don't think you, I mean, when you look at the complementary skill sets and players, of you said it playing around Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, but go down Joe Harris, Seth Curry, uh, Royce O'Neal, Patty Mill, like it, there's guys that can move, can cut, can play fast, get it in transition, uh, work pick and rolls. It allows him to thrive and be at his best. And so that's why I think what you're relying upon Ben to do is everything that Ben is and has been. And then defensively, I mean, in the preseason game, um, you know, it, that was his first taste of, and obviously it's the preseason, but I think anytime you're making those jumps and those upticks of going from, you know, playing three on three, playing five on five, getting runs. Okay. We're, we're just playing pickup. Now we're playing in practice. Here's a preseason game. I think that matters. And it, he looks solid. I think he's getting his legs under him, getting a feel, getting used to his teammates. You saw how fast he can get the offense to operate. And I also th- just think his vision and there's, you know, things here or there, but overall, I th- you saw pressure on the perimeter. You saw his movements. You saw him get down stance, how we could rebound. Um, all of those things I think are just going to continue to improve. One is his conditioning continues to come back. Two is he gets more comfortable, uh, not only being back on the floor, but being with his teammates. But I think you, you just want Ben to be the the all-star, the all-defensive player that he used to be and continue to grow and be better and better each and every time that he gets a chance to be on the floor with these guys. Yeah, he looked healthy on Monday, and you know that's almost surprising to me because, I mean, he had that back surgery, and you saw the timetable, and I wondered when he'd get back on the floor. Misses an entire season. Um, like he's never going to be 
I, I'm tired of looking, looking at Instagram video of Ben Simmons shooting threes. He's never going to be a three-point shooter. If he takes single-digit threes this year, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, he's never going to be a great free-throw shooter, although maybe Steve Nash can work some magic with him at the free-throw line. But even watching Monday night, that stroke still look kind of the same. He's not going to be, uh, I think, a, a high-level guy at the free-throw line. But the speed, like... I went with the, the Nets were like 11th in pace last year. They're going to be top five this year. Like, they're going to be flying up and down the floor, especially with those small lineups. And he's going to find guys. Like, you know, Harris is going to be open more than he was. Seth Curry is going to be open more than he was. I mean, it's, he's going to open up. You, know, you saw a little bit of it on Monday night, like the burst they can put on teams offensively. Like, they're going to get to like 15 0 like runs in like three minutes. Like, it's just going to be these wow explosions offensively. And I think Ben Simmons is going to be a big part of that. If there is a question, Sarah, in my mind, it's can Steve Nash coach this team? And it's not a knock on Nash's basketball intellect. It's just that he's got one star in Kyrie Irving who has never really publicly respected him. In fact, gone out of his way at times to publicly disrespect him. And you have another one in Kevin Durant who asked for him to be fired in the offseason. That wasn't really refuted on media day. In fact, it was sort of tacitly confirmed by Sean Marks and... Uh, and Steve Nash. So, like, can Steve Nash credibly coach this team when your two stars have, to say the least, shown skepticism towards his ability to do it? I think so, and I think that circles back to when I talk about players having a chip on their shoulder and an extra sense of urgency. I would I would put that on the coaching staff as well. Steve Nash, the rest of this group, um, when you ask what I've seen in training camp and seen – watching these practices there has been a sharpness and a directiveness in organizing what's happening the teaching all the elements that are being put in schematically offensively defensively um that i think is a different variation from the levels we saw in in season past and so some of that too i think just is is with this group and, and knowing who you have but overall, I think it's I do think it's going to continue to be one of those things that's that's a push. And Steve Nash, you think about him as a player. And obviously, that's always the big question. Can players how how they make that jump to being a coach and finding success in, in that field? But I think there is a competitiveness in him. And I think he's fully aware of the situation. Like he's he's a smart guy. He understands that. The first thing we said about him was how he resonates with players and how he's able to understand and communicate with the players. And so, you know, given the circumstance, the situation, and everything that's occurred, I think for him it probably is a constant challenge and is probably something that he looks at of of wanting to prove to whomever and whether that's something he cares about but in terms of achieving and a high level achieving guy I think that's what he is so I'm sure it's something that's going to continue to be monitored but I think overall that's part of everyone having a level of, of urgency out of the gates and to me that's a good thing like that's that's a good thing for this team that maybe that wasn't there that wasn't present in season pass or you look at the group or you look at what you expected when you had Kevin James and Kyrie or you know you're starting to look at that team on paper and I think this is a different approach for this group and and that's something that I don't think is actually a bad thing I think the start is really important to this team maybe more so to Steve Nash because I I do think there's a lot of pressure on him I mean I, I thought he got his butt kicked last year in the playoffs I thought Ime Adoka coached circles around him in that series 
And we know he's a smart guy, He obviously. We know he's an ultra-competitive guy. He was throughout the entirety of his career. He overachieved in every possible way as a player. So you're not discounting that, but he's got to prove he's on the level of the Mike Budenholzers and Eric Spolstras and Doc Rivers because as loaded as the top of the Eastern Conference is with talent on the roster, it's loaded with high-level coaches as well and you know you know well like that makes a difference in a playoff series one adjustment here or there can determine the winner of a series so look if the nets jump out to like a 13 and 2 start or play really well 10 and 4 whatever you want to call it you know that's going to take a lot of pressure off of steve nash but if they scuffle and stumble a little bit out of the gates that's really only going to ratchet up and it's and being in new york be a lot of questions about whether steve's the right guy so i mean i mean Look, I, I think he's a smart guy, but there is, in my mind, undoubtedly a ton of pressure on him. Yeah, and and I also think you look at his, I mean, he's entering his third season. First season was the COVID season. Second year was last year, and I don't need to detail for you um, all that occurred from the start of training camp and throughout. So I would also go further to say probably the things that he focused on and the things he had to spend a lot of um a lot of brain power on or try and manage it wasn't necessarily always the X's and O's part. And so anytime you're doing something new, anytime you move to that seat, um, the amount of time spent on those, those type of things, uh, takes up a lot. And that sometimes does take time. And so that's where I'm, I'm very interested to see, okay, how does that look here in year three? So who knows what, what can happen. We never know what can happen at the start of the season. And we know, um, you know, that there's always a lot of moving parts, but if this is how things look and if in some way, shape or form, there is a smoothness to how they get going. Okay. If this is what you're focused on, it's what you've been focused on in the off season. What does that look like? And how are you able to best optimize this group, this rotation, this lineup, these stars that you have? And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just as excited to see it. I'm just as anxious to see it. And, um, I think the, the opportunity is there because the opportunity is there because the skill and the players and the personnel that you have are there and available. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. Sarah Kustak, Yes Network. Uh, do you feel liberated not having to carry Michael Grady anymore, the new voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves? Man, Mannix, we started this on such a high note. I, I'm so excited about our new member, the Nets on – Nets on Yes Crew, uh, Megan Triplett. So I feel like every time I I talk about Grady, I want to make upgrade. sure to shine Huge a light upgrade. on. Huge upgrade. I miss Jeez. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him for Sirius XM NBA Radio. I got to go cover Minnesota Timberwolves training camp, and I think everyone there thought I was just like checking on him and hanging around to make sure does he, he was good. Does he know... Like it's like seventy degrees in Minnesota right now. Does he know how cold it gets in January, February? I know he's a Midwesterner he's, at heart, but does he know? He's sunshine. He's just pure sunshine. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna love him okay. over there. But I miss I miss him immensely, and I don't miss you messing with him. He's he's gonna, family. He's gonna be cur- as curmudgeonly as Tom Thibodeau was by February after never that Minnesota never. Winter, that's for sure. Uh, Sarah, always appreciate your time, my friend. We'll see you out there. Thanks, Mannix.
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. 